Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 91 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college football fans. Hello, hello. And we are back here to discuss some Nebraska football with you, as well as some broader things within the uh, Big Ten rule set during this strange pandemic times that we're in and some of the recruiting stuff that's happened over the summer for Nebraska. So we'll get all that to you today. And that sounds like a good subject. Yeah. And for those of you who may be new to the podcast, you'd be interested to hear that uh, this is a college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. And we're here, a father-son duo, uh, talking from across the country to discuss our favorite team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, as well as what's going on in the more national side of college football. And we're all uh, coming to you safely from our homes, whether that's in L.A. or in an RV, uh, staying safe from COVID <laughs> and all that. Um, and uh, yeah, so we'll get right into it. Um, the first thing I have written down here is uh, some news, you know, that's quite old now, you know, but since we weren't doing podcasts over the summer, um, we did have some key players leave the team for various reasons, including uh, J.D. Spielman and Noah Vedrill. Um, I know in the case of Vedrill, you know, it's mostly because we have some young talent beneath him that, you know, will assuredly become like our, our quarterback in the future. Um, but, you know, I think he played you know, well enough in the games that he was in last year. Um, so I was a little bit surprised to see that. Well, yes. Uh, well, he, he, um, was, what would I say? You know, he was recognizing that his potential to be a starter, um, at Nebraska was, had diminished a bit, right? Because, uh, we're, we're speaking of Vedral here, right? Right. Or are you talking about JD? Okay. Vedral. Yeah. So he, he realized that in all likelihood in the eyes of the coaches, he was now on the edge of probably shifting down to third on the depth chart behind uh, McCaffrey. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, he was kind of seeing the writing on the wall that he had two years of eligibility left. And if he wanted to compete, he had had, he had come home from central Florida to play at Nebraska with the hopes that he could contribute and be a factor. And he had, done that and been a part of two years at Nebraska. And uh, now he had the opportunity, I think, uh, to, to transfer somewhere and be immediately eligible and, and be able to see play in time somewhere. So his priority was at that point was play in time. So, right. so that was the deal. Right. And then with that, I mean, I, that's kind of the story I had con concocted in terms of federal for Spielman. I'm a little bit more in the dark. I have to admit. Right. Well, yeah, Spielman, uh, his issues go back to last year after the season ended. Uh, obviously, the season did not go well for Nebraska last year. Um, there was some indications that he was not seeing eye to eye with the coaching staff and, and their vision for you know how he fit into the program. I think they always had hoped that J.D. would grow into more of a leadership role because he was now one of the older players more experienced players, certainly one of the most uh, recognized players in terms of, you know, being all big 10 uh, freshman team and then, you know, going on from there and having uh, a lots of a success and productivity. I mean, he, he very well would have graduated from Nebraska as the all time leading receiver in the history of Nebraska football. 
if he had stayed for a senior year. That's what likely would have happened unless he got injured right away or something. But he was dealing, he was struggling with some mental issues of his own where he was having trouble with his own motivation, with his own uh, attitude, and he did not want to be a leader. He was, he's a quiet kid and he just didn't want it. Um, and I think uh, uh, he just didn't feel the connection with this new staff. And so he decided to quit school altogether last semester in the spring. Mm-hmm. And then COVID was a part of that too, or the lead up to COVID. And so, you know, he, he left school and then didn't come back. And so uh, there was speculation for quite a while about what he was going to do. They, he eventually decided, nope, I'm not going to come back to Nebraska. And he now landed at TCU. Right. So he, he, yeah, yeah. So he just was, his time with the Nebraska football team was over right. in, in his mind. Uh, I don't think he was forced out by our coaches. I think he chose that on his own. And I, and I don't have any more explanation than that. Right. Well, you know, and that, that definitely does hurt because, you know, he's one of our best receivers. Um, but of course now with this COVID situation and playing the eight games and all that, you know, all the teams are going to be messed up, you know, in one way or the other. Um, so everyone's just going to have to kind of adapt. Um, but, but to your point, you know, you, there's the normal kind of, uh, attrition you know that you incur over the course of football season in terms of injuries and players just leaving for playing time elsewhere etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but now you have the COVID stuff on top of that so it's gonna be an interesting situation for sure absolutely absolutely <clears throat> well and so so we we lost those two now in addition you may not be as uh, aware but we've lost a number of other players including uh, two or three players from our freshman class that never even got to practice much right uh actually i think one of them came at semester so he had graduated high school early a semester early and then covid happened you know just a a month and a half into his tenure at nebraska and then he left before spring practice even uh began because covid happened and then they canceled school and went online and so they went back home to Florida. These kids were all from Florida and they decided not to come back. So, mm-hmm. you know, f- fall approached and they were like, nope, I don't want to be at Nebraska anymore. And so they put themselves in the portal and the way they went. So we've had three players from our 2020 recruiting class already leave the team. Right. And they never even gave themselves a shot. Um, and, and I don't know, I don't know that we're done. I think the decision uh, to not, uh, have a a, a, a a football season also let a couple of guys to reconsider, you know, they sure as heck weren't wanting to sit around and twiddle their thumbs for a whole year waiting for, you know, the next fall to occur in 2021 in Nebraska when they couldn't play football. Uh, they were already struggling with the adjustment to Lincoln from, you know, the warmth and, and the big city ambiance of, of South Florida. Um, and, um, so they, they bugged out, and that's that's the that's some of the negatives uh, psychologically that happen as a result of this this uh, COVID's impact on college athletes. Right. Yeah, and you know, and it's from a you know it, it depends on the each family's individual situation, but I could totally understand you know with this unprecedented event happening, you know, you wanting to be closer to your family, especially since you're gonna be learning online anyways. So why not be 
at home, you know, and why not, or why not, you know, choose a school that's closer to home or, you know, others oh, could be all sorts of reasons why uh, they chose to do that. Of course, having your education paid for by the University of Nebraska is a pretty nice thing that you're letting go there. Um, right, exactly. You know, but, you know, once again, that's a story. I'm sure there are plenty of stories of that across teams across the nation. You know, that's not a going to be an exclusive to Nebraska kind of thing. Well, it, it, except that with Nebraska, you know, our culture is different enough, right? And the real magnet, the thing that appeals or draws athletes to Nebraska is number one, um, the passion of the Nebraska fan base is always something that's, it becomes immediately obvious to any player who is uh, interested in, in Nebraska as one of their possible destinations. Uh, you know, you see that in every way uh, that it, it exhibits itself. Um, but then in addition, the way that Nebraska treats its student athletes, I mean, Nebraska has prided itself for years in being way ahead of the curve in how it, how it goes about um, uh, the athletes experience, right? The, the educational side, the emotional side, the psychological side, and, uh, and the athletic side all got more resources and get more attention and their willingness to, um, you know, uh, support the student athletes success in all facets of their life, even beyond college are second to none. And so players get to see that, but those are the kinds of things that uh, 18 year old typically doesn't have high on their list yet. Mom and dad do, but you know, Johnny doesn't, does that make sense? Right. <laughs> so, so then it becomes an issue where, uh, when we don't get to demonstrate that or when players don't get to experience the other parts, then it's very easy for them to walk away from Nebraska because there isn't, there isn't the beautiful water, the physical beauty of LA, uh, you know, the Pacific ocean beaches, blah, 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 you know, South Miami, uh, that sort of thing, or the prestige of academics at a place like, uh, you know, Notre Dame or Stanford or, um, you know, even the University of Michigan, you know, which prides itself on that academic standing. Um, Nebraska doesn't have those things. Yep. So, so that's where it kind of, it hits Nebraska harder. Right. That's true. That's true. Um, and you mentioned, you know, those uh, kids within our uh, 2020 class who kind of moved on, but I know that obviously the whole COVID situation has also affected the recruiting in terms of the 2021 class as well. So maybe you could go into that a little bit. It, it, it has, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously motivated some players, I think, to make their decision a little earlier. Um, they, uh, many kids, though, who aren't really sure yet have really had to struggle because they keep pushing out uh, the dead period. So they keep extending the dead period because they don't want on-campus visits to happen, right? Because they don't want to encourage these young students, high school-age kids, to go to colleges and you know interact and all that stuff during a period when COVID is still you know, a major concern. So as a result, um, they have kept extending this dead period uh, further and further out. Now it's now officially, I think, extended to basically the, towards the end of the, the year, like December 18th or something. So kids are not going to be able to do the normal visits that they would do. You know, that's part of the fun of the recruiting process. So if you're a recruit for the 2021 season, and you didn't take any visits before, uh, you know, your junior year, uh, I mean, before your senior year began, 
you know, uh, basically before COVID started, right. You don't get to go on those visits. Um, and that's kind of screwed with people and it delayed their time frame uh, of their de- decision. But at the same time, they're recognizing that schools all over the country are canceling uh, programs, cutting back scholarships, et cetera, et cetera. So if your athletes in the non-revenue sports, you're really panicked, right? But even, even within the football side, I think there's a certain urgency that now is lit underneath all of these athletes who are not the really, really premier players. Let's say the top 100, top 200 players in the country, those guys, they're getting, they're getting all kinds of attention no matter what. But if you're one of those mid-tier guys, you know, you may not be as willing to patiently wait around and slow play the whole process, waiting to see who's going to offer you a scholarship late. Uh, you're going to jump on what's available to you, right? Because you want to secure that that free free education first and foremost, right? Yeah. Okay. So now, with all those things being said, Nebraska has found their way through this pretty well. Um, uh, we're currently ranked number seventeen in uh, by rivals on our recruiting ranking, uh, and we're we're third or fourth in the Big Ten, depending on you know which service you review. So we're right there in the, that upper echelon of, of them. We're nowhere close to Ohio State, which again is going to have a national championship caliber uh, recruiting class. And uh, Michigan is not far behind them. Uh, they're also doing extremely well. Penn State is doing very well. And then, and then the next tier, which is considerably farther back, is going to be teams like Wisconsin, Nebraska, Iowa, um, you know, um, and that, and that type of tier. And that's where we find ourselves. So we're right there with the Wisconsin's and Iowa's that we compete against for, uh, you know, a West division championship down the road. So, um, but we've done really well. Uh, we, we got probably the top tight end in the country to commit to us. We already have one of the top offensive linemen uh, in the country uh, who happened to be from Nebraska, probably the only top 100 player we had in the state of Nebraska. So we have two top 100 players already committed to Nebraska. Um, and that's, that's really good. You know, anytime you can get one of the top 100, that's a big deal. Uh, but we have quite a number of guys that were really high on our coaches list that they were recruiting from the very early era. We have, you know, we tend to only recruit one quarterback a year and we got that guy uh, in the fold early and has been doing some recruiting for us. And he's, uh, he's an interesting prospect because he's, He's a little different than the other guys we've been going after. He's 6'5", you know, about 200 pounds, um, and he's, again, a Nebraska kid, so a little unusual, but he has a uh, has shown really well in the you know development side of things, and so his ceiling is very high. He's a, he's a hell of an athlete, so it'll be interesting to see how he performs, you know, and we have three other really good quarterbacks, so this is a guy that is maybe a little bit more of a project, but has a really big upside. So we'll see what happens with him. Right. Yeah. So that's good. So I think it's going, I think it's going really well overall. Uh, Could it go better? Yes. Could we be in on some of the more high end type players? Is this the kind of class that'll get us uh, to where we're competing with the Ohio States and Michigan's and Penn States of the world to win conference championships? Probably not good enough yet, but frankly, we have to get this kind of class first and then translate that into Big Ten championship opportunities through winning the West Division. And then I think you'd see that jump from being a top 20, 25 class 
into the top 15 range very consistently if we could start getting to the Big Ten championship regularly and playing in bigger bowl games and winning some of them. Right. That, that That's a step you just have to take. You don't just magically snap your fingers and all of a sudden you go to, you know, uh, Big Ten champions when you've got a team that is coached as well and recruits as consistently as Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State do. Very true. And the final thing I wanted to talk about in terms of the, you know, kind of summertime is that uh, obviously the uh, new rules kind of came into effect in terms of uh, rules for uh, licensing in terms of student athletes and how they could get paid and things like that. And we've discussed all that stuff in length on previous podcasts that you can go back and listen to if you're interested in that part of the discussion. But the reality of the situation is, is that those are the new rules and everybody's going to be competing on that front. Um, so it was cool to see that Nebraska kind of got out in front of the competition in terms of already promoting different methods for uh, athletes to build their brand. And I know there's a, a company that's by former Nebraska football players that is all about that and, and making those contracts for athletes and things like that. Right. There's a company by the name of Open Doors that's out of uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. It was started by a couple of uh, co-founders are both uh, past Nebraska football players, but were both creative uh, in the internet age, right? And understood the value of, of you know, what they now call NIL, which is name, Im- image, and likeness. And what they've learned is, is that if, if you want to generate a lot of revenue uh, as, a, as, a, as a person who is popular because they're a sports figure or a performer or whatever, then you need to make use of social media tools to um, make sure that you're maximizing those types of things. And to do that, oftentimes you need some special coaching or assistance, right, from professionals who know how to do it and how to maximize your influence, right? and become the best influencer you can so that then marketing uh, people who want to market their products are going to want to be attached to you, right? So that's where that name, image, and likeness matters. And this company, Open Doors, has jumped on that uh, and was early to the game. And then, of course, once the rules changed in the NCAA that allowed athletes to, to, to now make money on their own image and likeness, well, Nebraska was perfectly poised to take advantage of that now this company isn't has already been doing this for quite some time has a number of professional uh professional leagues as well as professional athletes individually who who employ them to to do their work now they also are doing it with nebraska uh, oklahoma has signed on purdue has signed on um, um uh university of central florida ucf signed on i think the first program to sign on to get this kind of a program going in the country uh, across the, all the United States was the University of Nebraska with open doors. And now UCF was the second, which I'm sure Scott Frost had a little something to do with that, um, <laughs> directing them that way and, and, and you know, um, advocating for open doors and advocating for UCF to get those guys together. And then uh, since then, Purdue and, uh, and Oklahoma and some others have, have jumped on board as well, and, and everyone's going to be doing it soon. So there'll be a lot of competitors to open doors, I'm sure, going forward. But but it's just another example of Nebraska being on the cutting edge, just like they were the first ones to have a strength and conditioning program. They were the first ones to recognize the importance of, of, of having staff psychologists that worked with individual teams to build their winning cultures. Um, you know, 
Nebraska's always been. Our training table was legendary from the very get-go of such things. So, um, you know, nutrition, strength and training, psychology, all cutting-edge stuff. Education, you know, our, our uh, um, student assistance center is, is phenomenal. So this is just another example of how Nebraska has always committed their student athletes at the highest level. That's right. <laughs> That's the Nebraska no, way. It is the Nebraska way. And it doesn't always produce, you know, the results that we want because we, we also have some hills to climb in terms of how we overcome physical limitations that we have, both in numbers. You know, we don't have a lot of great athletes in our backyard because we're a small state with small population, but we overcome it by making all these other things exceptional. That's right. So on the last podcast, we talked a bit about the schedule that we have, uh, the eight-game schedule that's currently listed for uh, the Big Ten for this year for Nebraska. Um, yes. But we didn't go in as in-depth and do like, what all the new rules and regulations are, um, and so we thought we could talk about that a bit today and how that will you know affect the season and the fans out there who are excited to you know see the the new uh you know the football that we've all been longing for um i know uh, one of the rules is that in terms of attendance um it's limited to the families of the athletes um so you know uh, not not going to be much going on in that stadium but you know i think people have kind of gotten used to that now like i watch these like boxing events and there's like nobody there so you can like really hear like when somebody gets punched like you really hear the noise of that so i, th- I think right. it'll be a kind of a similar thing but it is odd you know that when the a big play happens or something you know exciting happens and you get the commentators reacting and so that still is there but there's nothing else uh, right. So there's no a, there's no crowd cheer and all that. That's yeah. where I'm hoping that they maybe relent a little bit and uh, maybe either help broaden the definition of what family is for these individual student athletes. And also, I would love it if they could if they would uh, allow for the band to uh, uh, be there and the cheerleaders to be there if they're socially spaced. And I've seen some um, uh, of the um, uh conferences have have done have taken that approach and i wish that the big 10 and i'm hopeful that maybe they'll reconsider that after they get going and they have the first couple of weeks where they're really tight on their process but if it's going well then maybe they would open things up a little bit more and allow you know like the cheerleaders and the band and stuff to be in part of it because i think missing the band noise and the band sound in the stadium is going to be really obvious in its in its absence especially when something good happens Right, because if you're the Oklahoma Sooners and you didn't hear the na 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 that thing, uh, you know that would drive that would drive you nuts if you were an Oklahoma fan and you didn't get to hear those horns, right? Right. Uh, where for Nebraska to you know rouse up the uh, the fight song uh, every time we have a touchdown, that's a big deal. And now it's not going to be there. Right. So how are they going to duplicate? That? Well, and you know if they wanted to, they could you know just have stuff pre-recorded and played over the speakers, which I know isn't the same, but you know, it's something. I'm sure sure they will, but that won't sound even close to the same as real live trumpets playing and stuff, you know, uh, brass, but um, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the bigger thing than just the fans though, is some of the other requirements. And that's the thing is even though we've announced a schedule and I'm excited for us to have a season and all that, the reality is that, um, 
uh, with these requirements, I think it's going to be very difficult for uh, the Big Ten, which diddle-daddled around for way too long to get to this point and make this damn decision. And as a result, they have no uh, bye weeks in their schedule. Their plan is to play starting the 23rd of October and play every single week for eight weeks straight and maybe a ninth week for all the teams um, and certainly at least two of them rather than having a bye week somewhere in there. Um, And they could have, if they had gotten their shit together, they could have had two or three. The original plan that was proposed would have been an October 11th start date. It would have just been a couple of weeks after the SEC got started and we could have still had the eight game schedule with a ninth option game and we would have had you know basically two bye weeks for every team to use so that if they had a week where they had to be in quarantine or whatever and and wanted to postpone a game they would have some open weeks to do that but now that we don't so that number one that waiting the way they did has screwed them in terms of giving them any flexibility they have no flexibility number two they uh they have uh on the positive side, they've, they've taken the approach with this new antigen test that's become available that they're planning to have every student athlete tested every day. So th- they're going to be daily tested. Uh, and then if you end up indicating positive on that antigen test, then you take a second test, which is the polymer chain reaction test, the PCR test, uh, to confirm the result of the point of contact test. So. So there's kind of two levels of testing before they confirm you as positive. Right. Um, that that makes a lot of sense to do that, actually. I like that idea. Yeah, and I saw but, as well that if you do test positive, then the minimum wait period, you know, assuming you get better and everything's fine, is 21 days. Yeah, which is, which is way more than anybody else is required. Most all the other conferences are only requiring 14 days, and the CDC... Uh, even admits that you don't need more than 10. So why 21 days? Well, the 21 days is because of the whole cardiac plan. Uh, They're all looking at biomarkers, ECGs, ectocardiograms, and a cardiac MRI are going to be required of everyone who tests positive. So they're going to do all those tests, very comprehensive cardiac testing, uh, and then they're going to monitor that person's heart basically for 21 days. They're very, very scared of somebody having a heart-related um, issue as a result of COVID, um, and that's why they went to 21 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, on the more positive side of things, um, obviously, all these student athletes are at these you know nice universities. You know, the Big Ten are all you know pretty prestigious, and so you know you have great facilities and great doctors and everything kind of at your beck and call when needed. Um, and the data that will be gathered from all these tests, you know, can be used by them for research purposes and things like that. Um, so, you know, so I understand where they're coming from in that respect. Yes. And I do too. It's just that if, if your goal is to let the kids play, uh, safely, then let's not, let's not shoot ourselves in the foot. And I feel like to some extent, uh, you know, because uh, the thing with this antigen test is it can do false positives, right? Mm-hmm. There's uh, in an effort to make sure that they catch everything, the way that the sensitivities are set up on that, they would far be far more uh, preferred to have a false positive than a 
missed negative or excuse me, a missed positive. Right. So, so they're going to, it's going to tend to detect uh, positives when they're not really there. Thus, that's why we're doing the two step process uh, with this PCR test being a little bit more extensive, a little bit more of a precise test. That's maybe a little more accurate, but is also takes a lot longer to, to do and is more expensive. Right. Right. But you know, the, you won't ever take the second test unless you test positive for the first. So, you know, that'll be a small number. Hopefully. Yes. (laughs) Now the thing, what the thing that, that is, is a challenge is the team positivity rate, which is the, uh, determined as the number of positive tests divided by the total number of tests administered. Then the rates that they're putting for green, orange, and red zones are really quite aggressive. I mean, green is just zero to 2%. And I think that uh, most every team is going to be in that uh, uh, above 2% range. So I I think it'll be very hard for a a team of that large to, to maintain in the green for very long. Uh, Orange is two to 5%. I'm hopeful that most teams will be able to manage themselves in that range of orange two to 5%. And if you're red, then you're done. Then, then 5% or more and, 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 uh, and they're putting you on the sidelines until that rate goes down. Now, it is not an individual daily rate, but a rolling average of the seven days, previous days. So there, it's a rolling average of those of that percentage. So it gives you some time to respond, I guess, um, to get you to below 5% by game day, maybe, or something. I don't know. We'll see how that plays out. But then there's this other element that's called the population positivity rate. And and the problem with that is I think the reason for them putting that in there is to uh, put an expectation on the, uh, the college communities to really hunker down and lock down on the community's effort to limit COVID, right, as a whole community, because they don't want, again, we, we talked a little bit about you got no, uh, nobody at the games, but what are those people going to do? Well, they, be, they might be in tailgate lots. They might be just coming to town and partying at the at the bars and in the in the districts of uh, where they would usually go before or after a game, but they're going to be there for the whole game. Well, now what are you doing? You're just changing the concentration from one spot to another. And if and if the, the community doesn't limit that or restrict that, then this population positivity rate is going to be the thing that bites them in the ass. And that it's a little higher. It goes uh, uh, green is three and a half percent. Orange is up to seven and a half percent and anything above seven and a half percent and you're in red there. Well, I can tell you right now that that uh, I, I don't understand what these numbers are. Number of positive individuals. I get that. That's easy. Divided by total population at risk. And I don't know what that number is. Is that the number of people who've been tested? Is that the number of the population of the community that you live in? What is that number? Population. Right. At risk. Well, I, I can say it's definitely not tested i think it's overall population whether that's the campus or it's the whole city that the campus is in i don't know right okay Um, well but but it is worth noting though within their document it says that if you were orange slash red so basically you're orange on the team side and you're red on the overall population side right you can still proceed you can still proceed with caution and extra measures Um, right right so yeah, the definitely heavy, heavy emphasis on the team positivity rate as the, the final determining factor. Uh, but, uh, 
Um, yeah, I just I, I worry that that population positivity rate, though, is going to be something of the red flag that causes people because even in that orange category, uh, it gives them they call it uh, uh, alter practice and meeting schedules. Consider viability of continuing with scheduled competition. So it, it, it asks you to consider the viability of still having the game. And so it's going to they're going to put it back in the hands of the bureaucrats who are just CYA in it and trying to reduce their liability. So the precedent is going to be set, I think, pretty early on that the first team that has to make that decision when they're in the orange, red or or um, orange, orange category, uh, if if they choose to play anyway, then great. Then the precedent will be set that that's acceptable. But if they choose not to play, then it's going to be really hard for the next person to choose to play. Mm-hmm. You follow me? Yeah. So I just think that it, it, because of all these rules and and the 21 day, you know, uh, on the shelf for any athlete who tests positive, I think you're going to see a lot of teams really struggle to be able to field a team that's competitive. And so it'll be easier for them to just decide not to play and postpone. And so we've got eight scheduled. I think we'll be lucky to get five games in. Mm-hmm. Our, I'm hopeful we can get five games in, in our schedule. Yep. yep. Yeah. Well, and and like you say, you know, we'll we'll kind of have to see how it plays out. You know, it's an experiment, just like everything is in this crazy world we're living yep. in right now. Um, That's true. T- to your point on like the the fan side of things, I I definitely think that there's ways that you can, you know, because like uh, for example, out here in LA, I went to a, a drive-in movie theater event for the Mandalorian, the Star Wars TV show. And uh, and Disney did a good job with it where like, you know, you drove and this was way more personalized than you would do for like a big tailgate event. But, you know, you drove up in your car and they gave you a little baggie that, you know, had like food in it, you know, so you didn't have to go anywhere. And, you you know, you weren't supposed to leave your car and hang out outside unless you needed to or whatever. Um, But, you know, everybody was spaced in their cars. We all watched the the movie and it was a good time. Um, So I definitely think there's a way you could, you know, set up. tape on the ground or, you know, lines of like, okay, this is your tailgate space or whatever. Here's your car. Here's your little tent for your people. You know, you can set up your TV out there and then you can still, you know, yell at your neighbor two cars down, you know, your, your family or whatever, um, or your friend and still kind of get some of that communal experience. Everyone's honking their horns when we score a touchdown or whatever, you know, even though it's obviously nowhere near, what we would get inside the stadium. But I think people are hungry for something like that. Right. Right. And I, I don't know, but you, like you said, I think creativity is the key word and, and, uh, and I'm hopeful that they can come up with some ways that where they do that. And I'm hoping that they uh, allow uh, commercial activity to be involved so that these people who rely on, you know, this economic engine that is, uh, collegiate football can find ways to make re- enough revenue for themselves that they're able to keep their doors open, um, uh, you know, for the future years. Right. Um, uh, so that's what I'm hopeful. Yep. Yep. Certainly. Yeah. In terms of the local communities and all that sort of stuff. Um, yes. And so looking at our, uh, schedule briefly to wrap things up here, um, I know we talked about it a bit last time and I said, you know, on an optimistic side of things like five and three would be great. And if we only play five games, you know, then it's like, well, what teams do we not play? Uh, well, right. You know, what would, would influence that? 
Um, and that's where the front end of our schedule being so tough, we could easily be, you know, one and three and only have played four games and that, then the season's over right. and we're one and three. Right. But you know what? I don't care what the season record is this year. This season does not matter in terms of win-loss record. What Nebraska fans got to look at is can we play some football? Can our younger guys get some snaps and experience? And can we move ourselves forward culturally within Scott Frost's program so that next year, hopefully after a vaccine has been made available and enough people you know, have chosen to take it or whatever, that, that people feel more comfortable in being able to go back to some normalcy of life, uh, that we would have a, a football team with a little bit more maturity and a little bit more seasoned and ready culturally to take on a you know uh, a football schedule and 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 win some football games and when it matters when we have a chance to do something with it yeah i agree like i mentioned on the last podcast i think that um just in general you know for nebraska and for all the teams around the nation you know there's obviously gonna be a huge asterisk by the season for everybody and i so you know unless you're like really think you're you're competing for national championship and even then you know it's gonna be weird um but you know, I don't, yeah, I don't think people should be freaking out the record too much. I know there was some pushback by Nebraska fans in terms of when this schedule came out and we saw how front loaded it was, you know, and how tough we have it in those first four weeks. Um, there was maybe some fans that were a little upset about that, but you know, you just, just last week, we weren't going to be able to play at all. So, you know, let's, let's appreciate what we've got, you know, you use this as a learning opportunity for our younger kids and all that and try to, you know, take that step towards rebuilding uh, as we uh, progress towards that goal of making it back to that national championship someday. Exactly. I totally agree. And that's what I want Nebraska fans to view this as and just enjoy the fact that our guys and our helmets get to go out there and, and, and play and compete the way they want to compete um, and see where the chips fall. And it doesn't matter if they end up being losses as long as they played as hard as they could when they were trying to compete. That's right. You know, and if they if they compete then then uh, I'm okay with the outcome. Here we go. All right. So if you all out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can find us online if you search for College Football Throwdown on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating and a review there. We always like hearing from the fans. We'll read any of your comments out live on the air. Uh, so thank you all for listening, uh, and you can reach us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com with any uh, comments or reviews of any sort. So thank you for being with me here today, Dad, to discuss this latest information about the upcoming football season. And uh, I know next week the SEC plays. Um, I'm not sure, you know, we'll see if there's enough kind of news to talk about in terms of doing another podcast. Um, but we'll right. get back into the groove of doing these and uh, look forward to that late October date when we can finally watch our Huskers on the field again. Absolutely. And it's going to be nice because we'll be we'll start getting a little bit of feedback because practice will start going. It'll be a lot like the fall season that usually happens in August, only it's going to be happening in September and October. <laughs> yep, going to be an adjustment for everybody. Absolutely. Yep. So until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.